Subject matter described in this podcast may be mature in nature and some details disturbing or triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. It's Britt here at Poisonous Minds, and we're back. Let me first start off by saying, last week was a victorious week for sweet, sweet justice. First, Michael Turney of Arizona was formally charged with the murder of his stepdaughter, Alyssa Turney. For those of you who do not know about Alyssa's case, please go listen to Voices for Justice, hosted by Alyssa's sister, Sarah Turney. She breaks down it all. I want to take a second to congratulate Sarah and all who may have helped to finally get some attention and responsibility brought to Alyssa's case after 19 years. Great job. Keep up the great work. Secondly, the Golden State Killer was finally handed down his sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Finally, the victims' families and survivors have a sense of closure to what was decades long of uncertainty, who their attacker was, and where he was. He will rot away lonely and hopefully painfully for the rest of his life. I know that doesn't give back what each victim had lost, but it gives hope that cases, no matter how old, can be closed and that there are people out there who still care and try to help give a voice to the voiceless. Today's story is one that is torn between a hoax stalking, or the unexplained. I'll let you decide for yourselves. Take a second and envision your dream home. Does it have the cliche white picket fence? Or does it have a big entryway with beautiful wood doors that swing open to your mansion that make you feel like royalty every time you walk through? Or do you picture a cute little ranch style home with the echo of your children and pets running through, full of laughter and joy. Whatever your dream home would be, I'm sure it is lovely. That is exactly what Derek and Maria brought us were looking for, too. Derek, growing up in Maine, working class, devoted and dedicated, he later found work at an insurance company in Manhattan and was driven to work his way up the corporate ladder, later to become the senior VP of the company, with a very handsome salary to match. Maria was raised in Westfield, New Jersey, from a well-to-do family. Together, Maria and Derek had three children, and they were on the hunt for their dream home. And they had found just the place. Just blocks away from Maria's childhood home was 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey. It was built in 1905, a single-family, colonial-style home that was roughly 3,920 square feet and sitting on about a half-acre land. This beautiful mansion had a spacious six bedrooms and four bathrooms. That was it, the home of Derek and Maria's dreams, the one they would raise their three beautiful children in and fill with memories. The kids were already picking out which fireplace Santa was going to use on Christmas. The Broadus family knew this was the house and purchased the home 
for $1.3 million in 2014. But like every old house, it had its secrets too. After the closing on the house, the couple were excited to add their personal touches to the home. They hired construction crews for some renovations, and they wanted it done before they officially moved in. One June day, Derek and Maria had spent majority of their day painting, taking a break as the evening approached. Derek goes out to get the mail. In the mailbox sits a white envelope with big, chunky letters. That envelope would turn their home into their worst nightmare. The front of the envelope had big, chunky handwriting that said, the new owner. Within the envelope was a type letter, according to the source, The Cut. And that letter reads, and I quote, Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now. And as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. End quote. A person to only be referenced as the watcher began to describe details of the family's day-to-day activities, even including their Honda minivan that they drove and being rather upset about the renovations they were doing on the house. The watcher letter went on, I quote, I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk tisk tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. End quote. Derek and Maria did not think much of the letter at first. They carried on their way with their new home plans. They were getting to know their neighbors and getting things ready to settle into the house. Then Derek receives the next letter saying, and I quote, you have children? I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I've counted. More on the way? Do you need to fill the house with young bloods I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for your growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. End quote. Creepy. Sign number one. <laughs> you need to leave. <laughs> the letter goes on, and I quote, Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I'm in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I'm in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. End quote. The envelope had no return address listed, but was ended with the cursive words, The Watcher. Terrified and alone, Derek makes the house completely dark so that no one would be able to see him inside. He frantically calls local Westfield police and has an officer come out to look around. 
While the officer was there, Derek had him read the letters, and the officer was quoted as saying, What the fuck is this? End quote. Questioning if Derek knew of any people who would want to hurt him or his family, or if he had any enemies of any kind. He even recommended Derek move construction equipment on the porch and back in case the watcher tried to toss anything through a window. Maria and the children were still living in their old home until the renovations were complete. Derek arrives and explains to Maria the letter and the advice local law enforcement had given them. The couple then decided it was probably best to reach out to the former owners, John and Andrea Woods, and see if they knew who the watcher was or why this person would be terrorizing them. They also asked about the part of the letter that said, and I quote, I asked the Woods to bring me young blood, and it looks like they listened, end quote. They sent the Woods an email. The next day, they received a reply from them that stated, In the 23 years in the house, they had never received any letters except for a few days before they moved out. Andrea Woods said she had received a letter from the Watcher, and it had mentioned how the Watcher and his family had observed the house for many years. Mrs. Woods found the letter to be odd, but did not think anything of it and threw it away. Once receiving a response and still clearly baffled by all of it, Maria met with Mr. and Mrs. Woods at the police station to meet with Detective Lugo. With all the information out in front of Detective Lugo, he advised Maria to not tell anyone about the letters, especially her neighbors, since they were all considered suspects. Derek and Maria start to take extra precautions to be sure that their eyes are always on their children and looking out for any odd behavior from passing neighbors. Weeks later, Derek had given a tour of the renovations to a neighborhood couple. Derek stopped in his tracks when the woman said, and I quote, it will be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood, end quote. Coincidence or on purpose? I'll leave that for you to choose. One morning, Derek received a call from the general contractor for the house. He notified Derek that a heavy sign that he had hammered in the front lawn was ripped out the night before. But they carried on. No letters, no problem. It had been roughly two weeks since the last one arrived. Things were finally starting to feel like they were getting better. Maria had dropped by the new house to look over paint samples and check the mail. As she reaches her hand into the mailbox and starts to pull out the mail, she immediately is drawn to the thick black handwriting on the front of the envelope. With no hesitation, she calls the police to the house. The letter from the watcher reads, and I quote, Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy and I have been watching you unload cartfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time they will, end quote. This arrogant maniac is growing more cocky. He carries on the letters by misspelling their names, even figuring out each one of their children's name, in birth order, and by their nicknames. The letter goes on, and I quote, I am pleased to know your names now and the names of your young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often, end quote. 
The watcher recalls a time where they saw one of their children using an easel on their closed-in porch, saying, quote, Is she the artist in the family? 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement, or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher. I have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now, you are too, Broadus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving day. You know I will be watching. End quote. What they thought was a nice, quiet neighborhood has now made their spines tingle and hair stand up. Derek and Maria stopped bringing their kids over to the new house until everything was done. The watcher took notice of this, and a few weeks later, another letter would arrive, saying, I quote, Where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. End quote. Easily, their home was one of the most prestigious and historical homes in the neighborhood, and one that attracted a lot of attention when the Woods family decided to put it on the market. Members of the community said, quote, There's a lot of money and a lot of ego. I've seen bidding wars where friends lost by $300,000. Derek and Maria were starting to think the watcher was someone who may have been potentially a buyer of the home, and maybe they were upset that they didn't get the house. The Watcher also mentioned, and I quote, The boulevard used to be the street to live on. You made it as if you lived on the boulevard. End quote. Derek and Maria reached back out to the Woods family, and the Woods family said that there was one interested buyer that they could recall that had backed out of the deal after a bad medical diagnosis, and another had already found a new home. The cryptic letters included details that only someone within close range of the house would be able to know or see these things. The first letter arrived before the sale of the house. The first letter arrived before the sale of the house was public, and there was no public for sale sign in the yard prior. Many neighbors said they had not even noticed the contractors working on the interior of the home, but someone knew 
someone was watching and watching closely. Derek and Maria took Detective Lugo on a tour of the home and even showed him the easel that the watcher says their daughter was painting on. Easily out of eyesight from the street due to vegetation, which was thick, you would only be able to see if someone was behind the house or right next door. Shortly before the second letter arrived, the family went to a barbecue across the street to welcome them and another new family to the neighborhood. They never mentioned the recent letter they had received, but were using this opportunity to keep an eye on potential suspects. At the same time, they were worried about the children being too far out of sight. Maria said, we kept screaming at them to stay close. People must have thought we were crazy. Off in the distance, Derek was chatting up John Schmidt, who lived nearby. Schmidt recalled a time that the Langfords, a family that lived between the two's houses, Peggy, the mother, was in her 90s, and many of her very much adult children, I'm talking, they're all in their 60s and they live with their mom. John said that they were a bit odd, but harmless. He said one of the younger children, Michael, didn't work and had a beard like Ernest Hemingway. They thought they had it, the Langfords, for sure. Their house was at the perfect vantage point to see the easel, them in the home. They lived close enough to know what was going on. The family had lived there since the 1960s when the watcher's father would have begun to observe 657 Boulevard, according to the letters. So everything fit the time frame. Rich Langford, the family patriarch, had died 12 years earlier. The current watcher claimed to have been on the job for the better part of two decades. Marie and Derek told Detective Lugo about the family. He said he already knew about them, and a week after the first letter arrived, he brought Michael Langford in to the police for an interview. Michael denied knowing anything about the letters, but Marie and Derek say that Lugo told them that, and I quote, the narrative of what he said matched things mentioned in the letter. This isn't CSI Westfield, Lugo told Derek and Maria. When the wife is dead, it's the husband, end quote. There is not a lot of hard-sticking evidence, and after some weeks, the police chief told Derek and Maria that short of an omission, there wasn't much the department could do for them. Derek in rage says to the detective, this is someone who's threatening my children. And the police are basically saying, probably nothing is going to happen. Probably isn't good enough for me, Derek said. Hell yeah. After the second letter, Derek told police that if they didn't take care of the situation, they would have a different kind of case on their hands. Quote, this person attacked my family, and where I'm from, if you do that, you get your ass beat, Derek told the source, The Cut. At their wit's end, Derek and Maria hired their own private investigator, and Derek himself became heavily obsessed with finding out who this person was. He began rigging the home with webcams. He would spend nights crouched in the darkness of 657 Boulevard. He was accumulating clues of people closest to him. He took Maria to a coffee shop in Manhattan, where he sprawled out across the table. He showed Maria maps, displaying each neighbor from the vantage point of 657, who had moved in, who had moved out, the overlay markings of 
who could have possibly seen the easel and circling for approximate range of earshot to estimate who might have heard Maria yelling their kids' names. Only a few homes fit both criterias. Maria had thought Derek lost it. Their private investigator was boots on the ground, sneaking around the neighborhood, ran background checks on neighbors who might be likely, but nothing really came of it. A good buddy of Derek's was a former FBI agent who reviewed the letters. Former FBI agent Lenahan didn't think the watcher would act on any of his threats, but he did think he had direct anger at the wealthy particularly. The watcher questioned in one of the letters asking, and I quote, Are you one of those Hoboken transplants who are ruining Westfield? End quote. Also commenting on their renovations, the house is crying from all the pain it is going through. You've changed it and made it so fancy. You're stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard. When I ran from room to room, imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. And then it got old, and so did my father, but he kept watching until the day he died. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. End quote. But one suspect that kept coming up was their neighbor, Michael Langford. He fit the criteria, how long his family lived in the area, and the neighbors commented on his overly odd behaviors. Evidence was just not on their side, though, and actually caused a lot of tension between the two families. The lawyer even tried to attempt to draw him out by sending him a letter that said the house would be torn down and nothing happened. When the police eventually questioned Michael before the second letter was sent, Derek and Maria had said, according to the cut, that Detective Lugo told the couple they wouldn't receive any more letters after he spoke with Michael. But two more arrived after. Ballsy move or wrong guy? The end of 2014 stalled any investigative leads that they had. No prints, no DNA, no way to tell who this person was behind the mysterious letters. In December, the police broke the news that they ran out of options. The family had an alarm system installed, but the thought of moving fully into the home gave them extreme anxiety. The uncertainty of who can hear you, who can see you, your children, when the next letter would arrive, and how much worse it could get. The couple didn't want to put their children in harm's way of this sociopath. Alarms would go off sometimes in the middle of the night where Derek would bring a knife just in case. I would do the same. But with their paranoia, they were met with the unraveling watcher. A part in one of the letters read, and I quote, 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. 
I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. End quote. Derek and Maria sold their old home and moved into Maria's parents. Still paying for this enormous mortgage and property taxes on their dream home, they would tell their friends that they had to move in due to legal issues when they really just didn't feel safe and felt stuck. The couple were starting to have their own issues related to the home. Maria sought out a therapist that told her that she had PTSD from the situation and it would not go away until they got rid of the house. Just six months after buying their dream home, they put it back on the market, listing it for more than what they had paid for the home to show what renovations they had done. But like the real housewives of Jersey, news travels fast. Realtors exchanged some emails. They said they heard about rumors of why the house sat empty for so long. Derek and Maria did send a partial disclosure mentioning the letters to potential buyers and to Coldwell Banker and their realtor. They even intended on showing the full letters to anyone whose offer was accepted. Several bids were placed well below asking price, but the couple were not ready to take such a financial hit and only wanted to share the letters with likely buyers. Not one buyer got that far, even when they lowered the price of the home. Coldwell Bank didn't even read the letters and told the couple they were being unnecessarily forthcoming, but the couple were adamant that they should include it. They wanted to be sure the next family who moved in was well aware. Shortly after, Derek and Maria filed a legal complaint against the Woods family for not disclosing the information of the watcher before purchasing the home. They were hoping for a quiet settlement, but the good old media ran with it. Reporters flood the lawn of the home, waiting for anyone to share their story and experience with them. Derek and Maria were advised to not speak to the public, to spare their kids of any exposure of what was happening. They attempted to get away by spending a little time at a friend's beach house. Things went from worse to shit. Maria's grandfather had a heart attack, and the friend that they were staying with had a grand mal seizure. They also inevitably told their children about what was going on with the home and why they hadn't moved in. The kids had a million questions and some even coming from their five-year-old. But Maria and Derek were scarce on answers. Derek was quoted in the cut as saying, your town isn't as safe as you think it is and there's a boogeyman obsessed with you, end quote. Honestly, that just gives me the goosebumps. Ew. But like I said, the media did what the media does when it has the smallest sniff of a story. It quickly escalated to neighbor interviews and worked its way up to a terrible horror movie. And yet, no one had even read the actual letters. The internet was especially cruel, calling them the millionaires who ran away scared from their dream home on some places like Reddit and Facebook. Eventually, down the line, the envelope was tested and it came back to be a woman's DNA and eventually ruled out the Langfords. 
and his family. They hired a forensic linguist. Fancy, right? He did not have any conclusive findings besides what he found on some local online forums that were similar to the Watcher's writing. Even though he did not think the author was the Watcher, he did think it was possible that the Watcher could watch the Game of Thrones HBO show, since Jon Snow was one of the Watchers on the wall. Clever. Derek's coming undone and trying to hire hackers to break into his neighbor's Wi-Fi networks. Now, we have all seen a scary movie or two where this can quickly become another crime in and of itself. But I guess this task was much more difficult than he thought and quickly bailed on this idea. Good move, dearest Derek. Turns out there was another family on that street that had received a letter from the Watcher when the Woods family was selling the home. But same as the Woods, they threw the letter away and said it only made things more confusing. And eventually, the case was cold again. The neighbors rallied in the street to sort out who would have sent the letters. They came to the conclusion that maybe Derek and Maria had did this to themselves. Nothing sinister and terrifying can happen in our white picket fence neighborhood. In sum, they said they suffered from buyer's remorse or realized that they couldn't afford it, and this was just some grand scheme to get out of it. Insurance fraud of sorts. Some thought it was a point to be made that the family upgraded from a $770,000 home to a $1.3 million house and refinanced their mortgages. Maria, being from that area, knew exactly how they would all react and could never admit that there was something wrong in their town, a person who may be mentally ill. Maria's DNA was also even ruled out from being on the envelope. Their lawsuit was later thrown out by a judge. Derek and Maria ended up borrowing money from a friend to buy a new home through an LLC to keep their location private. Since the home wasn't selling, they thought about tearing it down and putting up two smaller houses, but it would be too small for the mandated size for Westfield's planning board. Most neighbors didn't hear anything about the letters until the lawsuit which they were surprised that Maria and Derek didn't say anything about the letters. Hmm. Gee. Not tell every potential suspect that they're getting creepy letters about their youngbloods as a conversation starter wasn't good enough for this, Karen. A whole bunch of legal bullshit later, Westfield agreed to allow the couple to rent the home. Finally, they had a family in the home. Two weeks after they moved in, Derek went to go deal with a squirrel situation in the roof, and the renters handed them an envelope, and it read, and I quote, Violent winds and bitter cold. To the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. End quote. Two years later, and out of nowhere, dated February 13th, this letter the day Maria and Derek gave the deposition to the lawsuit against the Woods family. The letter goes on, and I quote, You wonder who the Watcher is? Turn around, idiots, the letter read. Maybe you even spoke to me. One of the so-called neighbors who has no idea who the Watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. 
the letter was a little less stylish and had more hate than the others. And it seemed that they had been closely following the story. They had looked at the media coverage. The letter goes on, and I quote, I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me, end quote. Derek, spidey senses go into overdrive. <laughs> the watcher goes on. I watched as you walked from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. End quote which clearly shows that he's pissed off about the fake attempt to tear the house down. The letter goes on, quote, My soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. End quote. The family renting said they'd stay if cameras were installed. You think Derek did that immediately? <laughs> I think so. But the letters pointed out that revenge can come in many forms, and it goes on, and I quote, Maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. End quote. Renting was not covering the cost of their mortgage, and the house went back on the market. It sat empty for a long time. The last of the fourth letters, according to the cut, reads, and I quote, You are despised by the house, and the watcher won. End quote. The home was finally sold in 2019 at a loss of $440,000. And to this day, there is no answers to who the watcher is or maybe if they even existed at all. Let me know what you think. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Poisonous Minds. Please remember to subscribe, review, rate on all your podcast platforms, and I'll see you all next week. Bye! Poisonous Minds podcast is written, produced, and composed by myself, Brittany Mejias.